This is Pod Populi, podcast for the people. Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. My guest today is Amy Buckley. Amy Buckley is the founder of Study Help, Inc., and is a veteran public school teacher. Study Help is a tutoring platform that connects top-quality teachers with students who are looking for a better understanding and academic skills. Her platform solves many of the issues of traditional tutoring services, and students from anywhere around the world can connect with top-notch teachers at a time that works best for them. It's also a platform, it's also the only platform, I should say, of its kind that has a C-suite member who is a credentialed teacher and knows what skills students need to master at every level. Study help is not a guarantee for A's on every assignment, but we want to teach students and help them grasp the skills and concepts so that they can be successful and the A's will come naturally. In her first five years of her career as a teacher, Amy taught students with emotional issues due to neglect and trauma, and then she moved to teaching students with mild to moderate disabilities, and that's where she's been teaching for the last 20 years. Most teachers are experts on the content that they deliver. Amy is an expert in teaching. She prides herself in making the content accessible to her students. Thank you, Amy, for joining us on Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. Thank you for having me. You'd be an excellent storyteller. I can see you reading books to classrooms and having them just be so drawn in by all your inflection. And I love it. Thank you. Thank you. It was funny because I, I really went into being a physician specifically a pediatrician, because I love working with parents, much like I'm sure you do as well, because mm-hmm. I, I like to teach. So I we have a, a very common interest. So yes. tell us a little bit more about Study Help, if you don't mind. So Study Help was born out of shelter in place. So When shelter-in-place happened and schools were shut down, a friend of mine came to me and said, hey, what do you think about creating a platform where students can connect with teachers for extra help? And I thought, this is amazing because in, you know, the 23 years I had been teaching, I had a lot of parents asking me for tutoring, where can they get tutoring? And there isn't really a whole lot of great options out there in general. You could find individual teachers that might be willing to do tutoring. I did that for a while, but the problem was that I either had to go into the student's home, which there is a lot of distractions, the dog, dad's making dinner, 
you know, their video games are right there. Or they would come to my house, which was a little bit awkward because now this person is in my personal space. Right. And that is really shocking to a lot of students. They're like, you don't live at school. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You go home. You have a home. So that wasn't great either. Going to like a public library. There's again, a lot of other stuff going on. So having this virtual platform was really the only way we could do it at that time. And at this point, so many young people are familiar with it. Teachers are familiar with it. And it's different than being in a class where you're online with 30 other kids. It's just you and the teacher. So it's that one-to-one like you and I right now. And we can develop that relationship, that growth relationship. And I have 50 minutes with your child where in a classroom, I have 56 minutes with 30 kids. So you do the math, you know, that's less than two minutes per kid. And I, in the beginning, I feel like for a lot of students, it's a struggle to get them to do their first session because they're like, oh, I don't want to do more school. Right. But then they, they get on it. And by the end, you know, they want to show you their cat. They want to show you <laughs> the Lego thing they built. Um, even our high schoolers are, I find there's a lot of connection and it's actually hard to end the session because they want to tell you stories about what's happening in their life. And they're creating this really great connection with an adult, which I think is really important. An adult that's not their parent, but is someone who's going to support them and encourage them to make good choices and help them feel more confident in the classroom, which is a huge benefit. What I've seen this year is, you know, we went back in the fall and we had the mask and then you know, in the spring, the mass went away, but there's still kids aren't really used to being in the classroom anymore, I found. And there's a lot of anxiety, whether it's about getting sick or I don't know how to talk to my peers anymore, or I don't remember this information. So having that time with a teacher not a college student or, you know, someone who's good at math, but someone who actually teaches that content is really helpful in the growth. And there's so much appreciation from the families and the students. And it just, it makes me so happy to provide a service for families that I can see is really valuable. And I, you seem so comfortable to talk to. I absolutely can see how students, once they got to know you and, and spoke to you, that you would be such an ally for them, with lack of a better term, that they would feel comfortable. And it warms my heart that they share those things with you. I'll tell you, in the last couple 
years, even though I'm not an educator, but in asking questions when the children would be in my office about how school is going, how their learning is going. And obviously, I get a lot of families that come in when they do have learning concerns. Mm -hmm. And what I have learned is that they all learn differently. I, I, oh, yeah. I, I want to have you explain what an IEP is to our listeners, but before you do, I really feel like every student could have their own individual plan because <laughs> they are so different when you talk about that classroom of 30. And what you do is you get to create that for them that doesn't mm-hmm. need approval, that doesn't need, you right. know, to months and months and months to develop. And so this way, when they work with you, they get that individual plan and their teaching is geared towards what their needs are. So it's that's excellent. So can you explain what an IEP actually is and how it mm-hmm. works? So an IEP is actually a legal document, an individualized education plan. In order for a student to receive an IEP, parent has to request IEP testing, or a teacher can request it. That doesn't mean that it will necessarily go through because students have to, this is the part that really I do not like, (laughs) is that a student has to show that there are certain number of years behind their peers. Like years, so, we're not talking months. Years, years. So in general, it's about two years wow. for an IEP. Now, a 504 is a step up from an IEP, kind of in between just your typical student and an IEP. And a 504, again, is still legal requirements. So like if a student has IBS, If a student needs to use the restroom, you cannot prevent them or stop them from using the restroom. They get to go to the restroom, right? Students that um, have vision or hearing problems, their 504 might say they have to sit in a certain spot in the room. Or if they have anxiety problems, it might be the opposite spot in the room. They might need to sit in the back of the room where they don't feel the pressure of other eyes on them. So an IEP is like the next level. In order for you to qualify for an IEP, you have to have psychological testing and academic testing. So a psychologist does the psychological testing and a teacher like myself does the academic testing. And that's one-to-one. And then from that, that determines, is there enough of a gap between a typical student and this student? where their IQ is typical, but they're performing far below typical. So a student who has um, like dyslexia, Mm -hmm. right? They have a typical IQ, but because reading is a challenge, they're gonna struggle in the classroom. So at that point, then accommodations and modifications can be made in the classroom for that student. So an accommodation could be um, 
we used to call it books on tape. <laughs> now there's a platform called Learning Ally that just has all the books recorded and it's easy to access. And we just signed the kid up. Yeah, they have an IEP, you know, all pretty much all public schools have it. And then they have this access. So it isn't just their textbook. It's also whatever literature we're reading in the classroom. Now, the psychologist or the psychological evaluation and the evaluation with the teacher, is that typically done in the school? Yes. Or can parents do it outside the school and present it to the school? It has to be done with the school psychologist. Okay. Because they want to make sure that this is accurate data coming from from, but you can bring in outside testing and say, look, so they can this look is how at my that. kid is. Yeah. And then there will be additional testing. Sure. I'm sure any resources or any testing that has been done can be helpful in the evaluation. But to, mm -hmm. it sounds to me like to be consistent, it's important right. that mm -hmm. what are some of the roadblocks that can happen. So a parent or a teacher requests that this evaluation be done. Now I'm just speaking from the outside because mm -hmm. sometimes it'll be months before I'll see that patient again and they'll say, well, it still hasn't been done yet. So just kind of explain to listeners, you know, how, so that we can better understand, mm -hmm. um, why it seems to take a while to get things going. So here's the really bad news. I know, right and now. I'm not being judgmental. I'm, I <laughs> no, just like I, to be I, able I, to I explain this is it an, to parents. This is so important for everyone to know yeah. that <clears throat> right now, things were tight before in terms of we, we have one psychologist on our campus for 2,700 children. Wow. And right now, trying to hire for positions in education is extraordinarily challenging. The pool was shallow before. Now it's a little bit dry, it's a little bit dry because the last couple of years have been so hard in education that people are retiring early. Yeah. Young people who have gone into this profession are like mm, no, thank you. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm going to move on to something else. And we're not recruiting new people because they see what's happening. You know, they're seeing the news, everything that's happening in classrooms. I mean, right. come on. Like, do you lock your door? Oh, I know. Or do you keep your door open? Are you worried about people coming in and doing bad things? Or are you worried about, you know, illness inside the classroom. So right. it's a challenge. And these are things that I'm sure as a teacher, just, I mean, it's stressful enough to teach and reach all these kids and, you know, do your day to day. But now you have, it's compounded that you have to even think about that now. Mm -hmm. it, it gives me chills. It really does because it, it's, it's just a reality, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So, so that helps me as a pediatrician for sure, because I want to be able to tell them, be patient. Yeah. And, you know, this, 
this will come because many times, you know, they're angry or they're upset. And a lot of times mm-hmm. people don't understand what's happening behind those closed doors and um, and so on as to why this isn't isn't getting done. So what can families do in the meantime to help just help their child excel, to not get too much further behind if they are, mm-hmm. and and really help them support and advocate for their child? What can they do right. now, I guess, is the question I'm asking. So every child is so different. Yeah. It would I can't give you one prescription, right? Because we're talking about kids who might have ADHD versus autism versus dyslexia. And every child is different. And even for myself, I have this massive toolbox for just autism. Yeah. But every autistic student is different. So when they come into my classroom, I have to find out which one of my tools works with this student because they they really are so, so different. (laughs) And I have to tell you that I love my students with autism because I feel like their perspective is so unique and fresh. And, you know, just thinking about the world from their point of view is so interesting. Um, But again, I would just do my research. And as a parent, I would try different tools until I find the one that works for my child. Uh, that's an that's an excellent um, way to look at it. I, I completely agree. I always tell families it would be so boring if they were all the same, right? Right. <laughs> now it's summer, and I I think I read a statistic. I don't know if it's even accurate now. It, um, but I remember in the past I read a statistic that said that children kind of lose about thirty percent of what they learned in the academic year. Maybe you can. You can uh, mm-hmm. expand on that. But what can parents do to help bridge that gap between last year and next year? Because mm-hmm. the wonderful thing is I do thankfully get to hear a lot of success stories. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to start over once we start the next grading period. No. Yes. So just for parents, things that parents can do, first off, have your student reading. I don't care if it's diary of a wimpy kid and they're in 10th grade. Okay. Like it doesn't matter. Kids who don't like to read are my favorite ones to get to read because we go into the library and I say, what do you like? And if they like cars, we find books about cars. If they like basketball, we find books about basketball. So It isn't that they don't like reading. It's that they're not connecting to the content that they are reading. So find a way. If your kid is into Legos, let's find Lego books, right? So, you know, they have those huge sets. There's reading involved in that. Right. In the instructions. In the instructions. So find the things that are going to encourage them to read And that's going to be a gateway to other things that they will read. So then you can expand. But first, you need to get them over the hump of, I hate reading. Yes. Right? And it's the same thing with math. 
we need to integrate math into our students' lives. So a lot of children, their parents aren't making them do money, right? How much change should you get? What should you give this person at, you know, Starbucks? Yeah. When you're doing recipes, having them measure, okay, we're going to double this recipe. What's double of one fourth cup? And don't say, okay, we're going to do math. Yeah. (laughs) Make it a part of their life. And so that it's engaging to them. And you know, something that kids absolutely love is receiving letters in the mail. Oh yeah. It makes them so happy. So it makes me happy. (laughs) Right. So writing to somebody that you as a parent have talked to ahead of time, maybe it's grandma, maybe it's a cousin, maybe you find them a pen pal and have them write back and forth. So they're practicing that. And what I love about writing back and forth is they can't just slop something down because as the parent, you say, look, grandma needs to be able to read this. So I want you to reread it and make sure it makes sense so that when grandma gets it, she understands what you're trying to tell her. So all of those things, plus the one other thing that is available to us, I think in the summer, because it's a break, is really getting out into the community, traveling, seeing how other people live their lives. It really opens up their minds to things that are not part of their particular daily schedule. Like getting out of the bubble. We right. would always say, we would call, I love my little hometown, but we call it the bubble. And I have to mention this before I forget, you talked about Diary of a Wimpy Kid. In our house, Captain Underpants was very <laughs> popular. And it just, my kids are adults now, but it brought me back to that. And how sometimes, I know magazines aren't really a thing as much anymore, but mm-hmm. we would read comics and we would look at different um, different things to read. And I even tell my families, sometimes you don't have to, because we have a reach out and read program in our practice, which means that every child from age six months to six years, when they come for a well visit, gets a book. And then we also have gently used books for the older kids. And I'll spend um, just a minute or so just saying, you know, sometimes for that child that just can't sit still, Make up stories even, you know, you don't have to read every word as it, as it's written in the book, especially for our early child or early, you know, early age children and just point out the different animals or the colors or just, you know, have them pick one thing and talk about that particular item, whether it's a tree or et cetera. And I think it kind of goes the same way with um my older when they as they got older we i would read to them still as they got older i remember when harry potter first came out we would sit down and it was a little more advanced but mm-hmm. i think even the we we don't they don't have to be little to read to them it's okay to read together as a family and i think if you are reading to and modeling that Mm-hmm. helps as well. But I I also love the idea of just 
like you said, getting out and experiencing different things. And sometimes in each of our different states, you don't have to go very far. Even here in Ohio, a one-hour trip south and you're in Amish country, which is, I think, very enriching and just to kind of understand some different cultures, etc. So, And that just keeps the neurotransmitters going, right? The, right. the brain keeps <laughs> going so that maybe you might need to be reminded how to do division in certain aspects, but your brain is, is still pretty flexible and picks it up again very quickly. Mm-hmm. How far into, cause I, one of the things that I do in my practice, but I know teacher conferences are typically in November ish, at least here in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, but if I see a child that I feel is at risk or that I'm already monitoring, I usually tell them about four weeks into school, send me an update on how things are going. Let's say this is a clean slate for any child. How far in, either as a teacher or a parent, would a parent start, would we start to notice that there is some concern? And I guess it could be different for every child and the subject as well. But do you notice that it takes a while or do you notice that sometimes you can see it right away? Sometimes I can see it right away. And I think as a parent, what you can look for because you're not in the classroom is anxiety and frustration around homework. Yes. So if the homework is coming home and the kid, I mean, don't battle over homework. This should not be a cry fest. There should not be yelling. I agree. If if you're getting to that point, that's going to make school and that content. that's when kids are like, Oh, I'm, I'm terrible at math. I hate math. That, that is really hard to undo. And that's when you need to get extra help because when you, as the, the helper and it's no longer helpful, that's when you need to find someone to help. That's when you come to a platform like mine, or if you have, okay, grandma does this great, or, you know, Whatever you have at your fingertips in terms of someone to sit down and help your child, do it. Because one of the greatest roadblocks to learning is anxiety around it. Yes, absolutely. And I've seen an increase in that, especially associated with school. And there's I mean, I have a laundry list of the different things that goes with that. But I would say if we don't catch these kids early on, and this Mm -hmm. is why I bring it up, it's so hard for them to dig themselves out of that hole. And and they either, A, just lose the motivation to do it, Mm -hmm. or they're just so anxious that focus and concentration and their ability to learn is just out the window. Absolutely. What do you, I mean, in addition to getting help, when you work with the kids and they express this, I would imagine if you've built that relationship where they're sharing personal things about themselves, do they also share about their anxiety? Mm, I would say sometimes, but more it's a matter of me seeing it 
and recognizing what it is. And then, so I teach math to my high school students and my students are students who are those I'm so many years behind. So they come into that room with a lot of anxiety. So I have to take the things we're learning and make it fun and engaging. Um, for example, I have a, I had a student this year who was really into makeup. She's a cheerleader. She does beautiful makeup and we were doing ratio tables and she just wasn't understanding ratio tables. And I said, okay, let's say that you're going to do other people's makeup for homecoming. How much are you going to charge? She says, $10. I said, well, that's too cheap. You can't, you can't <laughs> be doing it for $10. So let's make it $20. Okay. So you do one person, how much are you going to make? 20. Okay. Now let's do the next line. Two people. How much are you going to make? 40. And so we did the ratio table with her makeup. Wow. As part of that. And she goes, oh my God, I get it. I finally get it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So it's just about making that connection and making it a part of something that they're really interested in. And another thing I love to do is I take, you know, in math, you get a lot of worksheets, right? So you have practice. Well, you could take a worksheet and the kids sit down and it's, oh, the hair, you yeah. know, they're <laughs> yeah. looking, they're drawing pictures. And then there's something called a Kahoot, which is like this online game. And you know, they play it on the computer and the problem goes up on the screen and then they have four choices. And all of a sudden this worksheet that was so impossible and they're engaged, they're loving it. They're like, woo, having a great time. And I didn't change the content. I just changed the delivery. Okay. I see what you did. I see what you did. Yeah, I love that because then they just like, even when you were saying woo and all that, there's nothing more satisfying to me than to see a child who really believes in themselves and has achieved. And I used to even tell my boys, I said, when you put in the work and you, it just feels good, you know, mm -hmm. and doors will open. Thank you so much for joining. I mean, I know we've barely scratched the surface and we could talk so much more. And I'd love to have you come back and specifically talk about working with children with disabilities. And, sure. but how can people get a hold of you, Amy? I, I really think that your platform is absolutely tremendous. And, you know, that old saying, if you can make a difference in the child, in the life of one child, how enriching it is. And I'm sure it's very enriching for you. Yes, it really is. So in order to contact me, they can just go to study.help online. That's all that I have to put in, study.help, and it will pop up to our website. And then there's an option to either have a consultation with me where it will be like what we're doing right now, one-to-one -one online, or we can email back and forth. They wouldn't necessarily be working with me because I'm going to ask a bunch of questions about the student their interests, their learning styles. And then I'm going to match them with one of our teachers that I think is going to be best for them. And the thing that I think is important for everyone to know is that more teachers have tried to be on our platform than we have on our platform. It's like 
two to one. So when I am, you know, interviewing the teacher and talking to them and looking into what they do, if I don't think that they're going to be highly engaging and very helpful in their own way, then they're not the right fit for us. And I have kind of a full spectrum. So I have an elementary school teacher who's also a yoga teacher who is so sweet and just loving and kind and comforting. And then I have another elementary school teacher who is super fun and engaging and outgoing and just (laughs) makes it exciting. So it really depends on where does your child fall in that spectrum, right? Do they need the gentle or do they need the energy? Yeah. Yes. Here we go. (laughs) Yeah. Because either way it could turn them off. And right. So that that's, that's so important. I, I completely get it. I do the same thing when I walk into the office with my patients. I know some patients who just are like, whoa, if I'm just way too excited that day. Or just the opposite if I'm too serious. I've had teenagers look at me and she's like, why are you being so serious today? (laughs) And it just makes me laugh. I I really do enjoy working with kids and as I'm sure you do too. And and this has really been enjoyable. I'm so happy to meet you and really just want to praise the work that you're doing for these kids because I know in my position there's only so much I can do and now I have a new tool in my toolbox that I can use as a resource to help my patients and I hope all the listeners are also considering working with your platform Study Help Inc. if they also are in need of this type of assistance. So thank you again. Any any other comments you just want to mention to families um, about your work or just any other pearls to add? Well, first off, I want to thank you for having me. I think your podcast is wonderful. I have listened to some very specific episodes that I thought were um, significant for me as a teacher. And I think that that's wonderful. And I think um, for parents, there's so many resources out there that sometimes it can feel a little overwhelming. And, you know, life isn't multiple choice. (laughs) It's a little bit, it's a little bit nebulous. And, you know, we just have to find the resources that work for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again. And thank you for listening to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. And don't forget to follow me wherever you enjoy listening to your shows. And let's grow up together.